Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. I was just happy to score. Uh, that was a big goal for us. And who was your favorite player growing up? Oh, it's got to be Sidney Crosby. I don't know Cutter from a hole in the wall. So, and I'm not too interested in talking about him. So long, stink town. The Wolverines have won a national championship. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live. From the Kintec Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Hey, dog, good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. We're going to try this again for a second consecutive day. Intern Sonia, good morning. Good morning. Oh, well done, everybody. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Much like the Vancouver Canucks, everything on this show just clicking right now. Don't listen to the rest of the show, Canucks, because I guarantee it'll go badly. Uh, hour one of this program is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet. What are you waiting for? Kintech. If you're watching the live stream, I'm actually putting emphasis on that with a good old-fashioned fist pump. You can check us out online, Sportsnet Plus. We stream every morning. You're wearing your uh, throwback Canucks hat mm-hmm. this morning. That's, that's a his sim- win hat. Yeah, that's a win hat. That's a, yeah. si- it's a symbol of, uh, of pride. Yeah. Helps What's your Canucks friend- loss hat? And it helps my self-esteem. Uh, it's also the hat I usually hat. wear. <laughs> it's very worn. <laughs> uh, we have a big show ahead. On a Tuesday, and we have a lot to get into. Guest list begins at 6.30. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN is going to join the program. We will talk about the Red Hot Vancouver Canucks and their assault on the New York, New Jersey area. But we will also talk about this Cutter Goche situation, this trade from Philadelphia to Anaheim, and the aftermath. What a wild story. What a wild night it was on Twitter last night as that story broke. Right in the middle of the Flyers playing their rivalry game against the Penguins. Right in the middle of it, this huge story breaks. And I guess we still don't know the entire story. We still don't know exactly what happened between Gauthier and the Flyers. He just ghosted them. He did, which is impressive. That's hard to do. Yeah, he wouldn't return their texts or anything. (laughs) I was like, I thought we had a fun. Yeah, I'll show you who's in charge. (laughs) 7.30, Arthur Staple from The Athletic is going to join the program. Perfect time to get Arthur on the show because he writes about both the Rangers and the Islanders. For the Athletic. And, of course, the Canucks took care of the Rangers last night. And tonight they will take on the Islanders 4.30 from UBS Arena. You can hear it all right here. Pre-game, post-game, the actual game. All right here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, 8 o'clock, the guy that will be on the call for that game, Brendan Batchelor, is going to join the program. The Canucks radio voice for Sportsnet 650. We will look back on what it's like to call that many highlight real goals in a single game. 
specifically back-to-back with the Pedersen and Hoaglander goals. Mm-hmm. That must be a lot of fun as a play-by-play guy to call. You know what was an underrated goal that no one's talking about? The empty netter? The Besser goal. Oh, yeah. Because that was such a nice play by Pedersen at the blue line. It was a pass-up, a stretch pass from Hughes to Pedersen. Yep. Good communication out there. You got to talk out there. You Good know, the, the guys were a bit of a quiet team before Good talk chatter. got there. So it's talking out there. Uh, and then Pedersen makes that delay move at the blue line. Besser goes hard to the net, gets a beautiful pass and makes a nice move. Like that was a beautiful goal. And it was like, it was like thrown on the trash heap of yeah, goals last night. The post game show with Bick and Sat, they did a poll question about what was the, what was the prettier goal. And I noticed that in some of the replies, people were like, you can't just narrow it down to those two. Yeah. I remember four or five last night. Mm-hmm. Really impressive performance from the Canucks. Hopefully they can do it again tonight when they take on the Islanders. So if you watch on the live stream right now and you watch your, my chair is broken and it's not because of my girth. The chair is just broken. But I just I slowly sink right. throughout the show. About a millimeter every five or ten minutes. The chair is like I can't I can't keep doing this. But every it keeps day. fighting, right? right? It doesn't just collapse entirely mm-hmm. like the Jacksonville Jaguars. It just slowly sinks. And I feel smaller and smaller. Anyway, we're also giving away tickets. <laughs> To the 32 Thoughts. Oh, yeah, you're right. I'm noticing it now. <laughs> Can you see it? He's like right. reaching up with I his mouth to get to the it's microphone. It's very distracting. No. <laughs> Dad! And now, and now it's time for... Now it's time for... It's time for a minute. I just keep sinking. I don't know what... Like, look at the live stream right now. I just keep sinking. You're finally... Your voice re- just gets further and further away. Hello! And our next guest... You're finally realizing your quicksand nightmare. This is it. And this is so slow. I thought quicksand would be far quicker. Hence the name... Quicksand, but this is taking forever to sink further and further into it's the It's like earth. the waiting room in Hell Effect, you know, every single chair. I can just tilt slowly, my microphone down, slowly, I suppose. Okay, uh, we are giving away tickets to the 32 Thoughts live show, Wicked Hall in Victoria, Wicket, W-I-C-K-E-T-T. Like the Ewok. Right. January 18th, that's a Thursday. A couple disclaimers. This is the greatest contest on earth. There's like five different disclaimers that we have to tell you. One, you have to either be in the Victoria area or be willing to go to the show. You can't just get the tickets and then sell them on Facebook Marketplace, okay? You have to be able to go to the show. Two, what's the latest disclaimer, Andy? It's kind of important. We we neglected (laughs) to mention yesterday. Uh, The recording is at 2 p.m. in the afternoon. 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So if you are a 9 to 5-er, just be aware of that. If you're planning on winning the tickets, you'll have to skip out work early or call in sick. So if you're in the greater Victoria area... On Thursday, January 18th at approximately 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Doing nothing at 2. You would like to see a podcast be taped. Uh, We've got tickets for you. Best what we learned. Hashtag WWL. Put a ticket emoji in. Dunbar Lumber text line. Amazingly, many of our listeners have nothing going on at 2 in the afternoon. I was going to say, it hadn't slowed down the submissions at all. I usually sleep then. Yeah. I'll wake up. Sure. Why not? Um, Okay. So working in reverse on the show, 8 o'clock, Brendan Batchelor, 7.30, Arthur Staples, 6.30, Greg Wyshynski, and you can also watch my amazing shrinking chair throughout the show. Uh, That is what's happening today. Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. No. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools or resources and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. Elias Patterson, two goals and two assists. All-star defenseman Quinn Hughes, an assist and a plus four. He now leads the NHL with a plus 30 rating. The Canucks with a second consecutive thoroughly impressive victory, this time 6-3. Over the blue shirts, the New York Rangers at MSG 
on Monday night. Yeah, you know, a lot of people were talking after that Devils game, like, yeah, yeah, the Canucks played really well, really well, except for a few wobbles right at the end. But, I mean, look at the Devils lineup. They're missing a lot of key players. The Rangers, one of the best teams in the NHL. Uh, I don't know if I don't know if they have a list of uh, injured players like the Devils do. They don't. Um, safe to say, Petey is a better player when he plays with really good players. Not that this is rocket science, but Petey has seven points in the two games since the Lotto line was reunited uh, against the Rangers. He had a brilliant individual goal, plus the empty netter to seal the six-three win. Plus, he had a couple of assists. Great night for him, obviously. Besser scored his twenty-fifth of the season. Demko who we, I don't want to say we called out yesterday, but we wondered you, if he was struggling no, no, a little there's no bit. We, there's no we. That's a you thing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, Demko was really good. He made some huge saves, stopping 39 of 42 shots that the Rangers put on net. The Hughes-Heronic pairing was plus four. Hoaglander, uh, lest we forget that guy, had a great game too. He scored twice, including one on a beautiful between-the-legs move. After a nifty pass from Pew Suter. That's a good word for him. And he's, some, he's a nifty player. And some completely clueless defensive awareness from Adam Fox on the play. By the way, he's yep. like, should I look around and see if there's anyone else there? Oh, too late. Suter already found him. <laughs> it was Nils Hoaglander, and now he has scored. And it should be noticed. Noted. Noted. Noticed also that the Canucks did all of that without getting a single power play from the referees. Yeah. The Canucks are now... 26 11 and 3. <laughs> it's crazy. Four points up on Vegas for first place in the Pacific. It's a quick turnaround for Vancouver because the Canucks play the Islanders tonight. Looking, and I think I read this in an IMAC piece, they have never swept in New Jersey, New York, New York trip. That's correct, Jason. Someone never just texted done it. it in as They've well. Never Conf- done it. it. IMAX said it, and a random texter said it. That's confirmation. That's modern journalism. But yeah, it is. Look, there's a lot of takeaways from this right now. There's the remarkable play of the team, the opportunity to sweep the New York, New Jersey Metro Star area. But the biggest story right now, and we'll talk to Arthur Staple and Greg Wyshynski to get a sense of how big this is resonating beyond Vancouver. It's the lotto line. Is it not? Is this this is the biggest story over the last two games. Since they got put together, reunited, if you will, it feels so good. They have combined for 16 points in two games. And they have done it against two playoff caliber teams in the Eastern Conference. As a matter of fact, two teams that met in last year's playoffs. Now, yes, this year's Devils team isn't um, firing on as many cylinders as last year, but this Rangers team is a top four team in the NHL. And there were a lot of people last night, especially a lot of your national hosts from Sportsnet, who were working that game because it was the Monday night um, hockey throw. Yeah. They were the- like, has anyone noticed these Canucks? Bit of a surprising start for these guys. And we're not talking about just like beating <laughs> the Rangers, but they're like, they look like they're toying with the Rangers, the high quality of goals that were being mm-hmm. scored, the way they were being scored, and the frequency they were being scored with. I don't know... When, we, when we're all said and done for this season, what's going to happen? Like I don't know what the future has in store, but it would not surprise me. As a matter of fact, I, I, I got a fair bit of faith in this one, that we're going to look back on this swing, almost re- regardless of what happens against the Islanders tonight, those two games as a sort of defining moment, but also a moment in the season where things clicked onto another level. 
that might change the trajectory of this team because there are not a lot, plain and simple, there are not a lot of lines and there's not a lot of collection and trios in the NHL that you can put together and have that pre-existing chemistry and then produce like they have over the, I know it's only two games, but the production hasn't just been good. It's been otherworldly. Uh, do we have any audio from last night? Do we have anything from Petey? Did did Petey talk? I, I know I'm putting you guys on the spot here, but like, did he say anything? Because I'm sure the fans would love to hear from Pedersen and all this because he is a conversation topic right now in a big way. Um, do we have? Do we have anything from Petey? We don't, no audio from Petey. Just talking about the game. Yeah. yeah. yeah well, let's yeah. play whatever we can get. Let's play whatever we can get from PD. Yeah, we got three clips from him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. dude, you you pick one here, and then we'll talk about what is in line for him because the speculation about his contract is not going away. Yeah, no, it's just so fun talking about it, uh, <laughs> talking about the line. No, but it's uh, we play good. I think uh, we understand each other in the way I think how we want to defend the forecheck, and that sets up good chances offensively for us and. Uh, I think that's a, a big reason for us we have a success now. Was that was that sarcasm from Petey right at the beginning? It yes, was just so fun talking about the line. Petey, enjoy yourself, buddy. Have some fun. The fans are having fun. Petey now has 19 goals and 33 assists for 52 points in 40 games. He is on pace to exceed the 102 points he put up last season at just 25 years old. 25 years old. He's also younger than, uh, let's just pick a name out of a hat here, William Nylander, Mm. who's 27, and he's actually three years older in terms of the draft. Nylander was 2014. Petey was 2017. And Petey, unlike Nylander most of the time, plays center. Nylander just signed a massive deal, and Petey's going to beat that deal. If he does an eight-year deal, like Nylander just did, his deal will be significantly bigger than Nylander's. Um, I don't know what it looks like on a short-term deal. Maybe the cap hit is a little bit lower on that because, again, Petey is 25. So if he goes into negotiations, he'll say, every year that you're going to get from me is going to be a prime year, even if it's an eight-year deal. Buy up those UFA years. The ball is very much in his court when it comes to contract talks as the Canucks have clearly signaled their willingness to start negotiating an extension and whether Petey likes it or not, people are going to talk about it and speculate on it. And you know what? It's not to be annoying. It's because Canucks fans are excited about this guy. They want him to stay long-term. They want him to be a centerpiece of this team. And until there's a resolution one way or the other, we're going to talk about it. Now, I got to wonder if he's going to go short-term and really cash in after the cap goes up in the next few years. The Austin Matthews approach. Some players, like Austin Matthews, are willing to bet big on themselves in that way. Others, they they like the security. They talk about like the total money that they can get in a contract. And Petey, if he's, if he's looking at an eight-year deal, it's over $100 million, right? Yeah. Like what? What would uh, an eight-year? Isn't an eight-year twelve and a half million dollar cap? Isn't that a? Is that a hundred on the nose? I think it is. Right. Yes. So that is the minimum on an eight-year extension. Now, what do the Canucks want? <laughs> the Canucks' preference is probably just get them signed one way or the other, and with the elite, and with the least amount of drama possible. But 
you know, there's this story, which does stress out some fans, but there's also like the really fun times that we're having watching this team right now. Yep. And maybe that's where the focus should be. I'm sure that's where Petey wants the focus to be on this team and how it's playing. Um, I don't know how Tockett can break up this lotto line until something you know, like top, until, top until heavy, it has to uh, be. Top heavy is the way to go. They, they worked on but defense. It's, but, but, but here's the thing. like It doesn't even seem super, super top heavy because you are getting things out of the Bluger line. The lotto line Garland is what's turning Joshua. the team into a cup contender, ironically. and <laughs> Because the lotto line, yeah. it doesn't matter that they're all together because, as you just said, all the other lines are clicking. You have a legit second line, a right. legit third line, or a 2A, 2B, well, look at the whatever. the fourth line. The fourth, fourth line's played clicking. well, right? Yeah, With, so I mean... If, if you get Hoaglander down there, you've, you've got a little talent. You've, you've, got, you've, got, uh, you've got talent spread across all four lines. Now... Um, People are going to yell at me and say, don't jinx this, but stop being so weak-minded about jinxes. Uh, the Canucks have been remarkably healthy this year, right? Yep. They have been. Look at New Jersey and what they're going through right now. It's really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully that remains the same because that's going to be a major factor in how the Canucks finish this season and go into the playoffs. Yeah. I still think they need to go out there and get some more players uh, at the deadline. The question is whether – the question really is – at this point is how big a swing do they take? How much of their future do they mortgage in order to uh, give themselves a shot of a deep playoff run this season? Yeah, and I mean, the, the, I don't, I, again, I think the last 48 hours are going to be uh, very instructive when we look back and say, okay, this is the trajectory that this team went on. Because this is kind of the time of the year where general managers and executives start to really boil down and make big decisions. This is the time of the year where you're, you're honing in on that 41 game mark, which is exactly the midpoint of the regular season. And you've kind of put the flash starts or, you know, is this a flash in the pan? Is it a big enough sample size? It's half a regular season. It's a big enough sample size. And moving forward, you do have to start looking within the framework of what you're talking about. Like, are you going to understand that you're you're on your way to the playoffs and in the playoffs it becomes a real meat grinder and you need depth. You maybe need seven or eight or nine NHL caliber defensemen. You need extra forwards. Maybe more size up front. Yeah, like there and this is where you start fine-tuning a team that coming into the year we all acknowledged was an imperfect roster. Myself in particular uh vastly underestimated what this team could get out of its depth at forward. For sure. I thought For that sure. it, we I, all did. It's okay to admit that we we underestimated what this team did. I, my I thought, thought there were players on the Canucks like I didn't think we could do this. Well, no, I thought that they could be a good group, but I did not think that there was enough. Like the reason that I didn't think the lotter line would play together very much this year is because I didn't think they had the collective depth behind those guys. Well, we to didn't be able really to pull know. Off. We didn't really know much about Bluger, and we didn't really know much about Pew Suter. Those those two pieces have essentially allowed that lotto line to be reunited because Bluger has played so well with Garland and Joshua. And I didn't know Suter was a 2C. Like, Suter could be a 2C? Really? This guy? Well, and well is he good. right now? Who's the 2C right now? Is it Bluger or Suter? Well, yeah, I knew. Who knows, okay, right? Well, fair. Yeah, what, yeah. I'm, what I'm saying is both those guys playing at that level is just ridiculous. Like, yeah. nobody would have predicted that. Well, and the other thing, too. Suter's is, been all over the roster. This versatility is what I like the most. Totally. 
here's here, like for example, the Canucks right now lead the entire National Hockey League in goals with 155. Second is the Colorado Avalanche. So just stop right there. Like that is that is a remarkable thing that the Vancouver Canucks are outscoring an absolute you know fire hose of an offensive talented team in Colorado. And I think one of the things that I grossly overlooked in the offseason when looking at this group was thinking that the offense was going to come exclusively from the forwards and not realizing how dynamic Hughes and Hronick were going to be together. Now, no one was going to expect this pairing to become the most elite in the NHL. Hughes and Hronick is the best pairing, defensive pairing in the NHL, bar none. I don't think it's particularly close. So there are still, well, okay. What? Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't have the list in front of me right now. Well, I, it, the thing is, is there's not, there's not many teams that roll out the top two defensemen on the same pair with regularity. Like last night, uh, it was I think it's Fox plays with Lingren and then Truba plays right. with mm-hmm. Keandre Miller. The best one maybe outside of this is Devon Taves and Kale McCarr mm-hmm. in, in Colorado, which hey is very good. I right now though I would say that Hughes is the best defenseman in the NHL. I think he's on track to win the Norris. And you look at the numbers that Hronik has put up. That you're saying that we're off the top. Hughes was plus four last night. So was Hronik. Like combined, yeah, they're plus eight in the game. I didn't think that was possible. The number felt too high. But. So there's still some people that will text in and say they're going to regress. Their shooting percentage is going to regress. Let's say their shooting re- percentage regresses. I'm saying that okay. all year. Okay, hold on. Let's say their shooting re- possession uh, percentages do regress a little bit. Sure. Are they all of a sudden the worst team in the league? They've been scoring a lot of goals. It's it's not like their shooting percentage is super high and they barely ever get any shots, right? And like, let's say it regresses a little bit. So, and then the, the boys were talking about this on the post game show, and I wish people would just keep talking about it because it seems to be there's this narrative out there that if it does regress to the mean, then all of a sudden the Canucks are a terrible team. Well, I'm They're glad not. I'm glad you brought not. another wrinkle to this in the, in the same vein like the conversation. I'm glad you brought this up earlier. They scored six times on the New York Rangers last night without the benefit of a single power play. And if you go back over the last few games, uh, one of the major narratives from earlier in the season was this team was cooking mm-hmm. with the man advantage. Right? They would they get on the power play, they'd light them up. Remember they did it to the uh, Oilers in the first game of the season and kind of carried on from there. Well, the power plays have dried up. They haven't been relying on special team scoring, as a matter of fact. And it's been really impressive to see the way that they're doing it because the quality of goals is really high. Like this last night was almost the inverse of the Ottawa game where yeah. things were bouncing in off guys' butts and you know, pucks were going in the air and landing. Mm-hmm. And they got every bounce imaginable. Last night, everything that they did was built off quality passing, high-end offensive skill individually, except for the empty netter. And, 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 and if we're being honest, a few Rangers mistakes. Sure, but you I mean the Rangers didn't play well. But hey, Peter Laviolette this- after the game was was like, yeah, we didn't. Yeah, he he kind of said, look, listen, I didn't feel like we were constantly under pressure, but when we were, we made big mistakes. And 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 look, I brought up when Hoglander uh, scored that between the legs goal. Go watch the replay. There's two Rangers staring. At Pew Suter and Hoaglander's like, I'm just going to sneak in behind you here. And Suter made a really nice pass, and yeah. Adam Fox was out to lunch there. Uh, laddie? Well, I just want to know the stat. You mentioned the no power play goals. How many times in Shostyorka's career he's given up three even-strength goals in a period? Yeah. That's impressive. Well, here's the thing. Last night, 
was kind of what the Rangers are. If you look at their season, like they, they play great. They're a top five team in the NHL on points. They've also allowed five plus goals like nine times already this season. They did it six times in 82 games last year. So they have this penchant for being able or sorry, getting exposed. Uh, and it's just sort of cascades on them. Like, you know, so I bring that up. It pinballs on them. It does. It pinballs all over the place. I bring it up because this is who the Rangers are. Like, it's not like last night was an off night for them. They've done this enough times that you're saying, so this is a high-end team in the Eastern Eastern Conference that has this sort of either Achilles heel or flaw, and Vancouver is one of the teams that was able to expose it. Uh, Greg Wyshynski is going to join us next. We'll talk a little bit about the Vancouver Canucks, but I want to talk to Greg about this Cutter Gauthier story. Out of Philly. This is a curious story. Um, Seven o'clock, we've got an open segment where we will have to talk about the Huskies' performance last night. Congratulations to Quinn Hughes' Michigan Wolverines, who are the college football national champs. But I'm happy about the Vancouver Canucks, and that's where our focus is going to be today. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The most comprehensive Canucks coverage in the city. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Six thirty one on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet six fifty. Halford Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience a Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour one of the program. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN is going to join us in just a moment here. Hour one of this program is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling, Vancouver's premier metal recycler. Pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. To the phone lines we go. That music can only mean one thing. It's time now for Greg Wyshynski here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Wish. How are you? Good, good. It, uh, I'm good. Uh, it was a fun night last night. Uh, not, not so much from a betting perspective because I had the Huskies minus one, uh, which was a mistake. But uh, from a hockey perspective... Because now we have the John Tavares of Philadelphia. Uh, <laughs> and he hasn't even played a game yet in the league. <laughs> I'm going to table the Cutter Goche conversation for a second because you are on in Vancouver. And even though there was a national title game yesterday, and even though Cutter Goche stole Twitter last night, the Vancouver Canucks put on a show at Madison Square Garden, which deserves top billing. It was a tremendous performance, second in a row for this team. How much. Have they and the reunion of the lotto line caught your eye, Greg? Look, here's the thing. Our friend Thomas Drance last night was like tweeting about how Adam Fox is a fraud compared to Quinn Hughes and all this stuff. (laughs) And look, here's the thing. I think you guys are going to win the West. I'm proud of that. I'm, again, one of the people that backed this team from before the season started to say that they were going to be a playoff team. Certainly did not think that Rick Tockett was going to have them become like a juggernaut. And, uh, and continued good health to the core because that's the make or break. As long as they're healthy, I think they can win the West. 
just don't get cocky. <laughs> like, like let's not do let's not do this whole dunking on the rest of the league thing because the Canucks are finally good and relevant again. Okay, this is exactly the type of behavior that got the entire sports world rooting for a team from Boston in the Stanley Cup final. Do you know how hard that is? to get people rooting for a team from Boston in the Stanley Cup final. It was because of Vancouver hubris. I don't want to see it happen again. I find this team to be pretty delightful, maybe outside of JT Miller. But like, um, but like on the whole, I-, I want the hockey world to embrace this team. Just don't get swaggered. In the words of Han Solo to Luke Skywalker, don't get cocky, kid. Well, that's always the problem with Drancer. He's a real homer. Like yeah. he's never willing to criticize the Canucks. Or never willing to like, criticize the. But I'm just saying, like, yeah. like Adam, Adam Fox is an incredible defenseman. We don't have to like besmirch the good name of other players to build up our own. It's not like people are walking around being like, you know, uh, Sam Reinhardt's trash. Brock Besser is where it's at. Like, calm down. You, you know what's interesting though. The team's going the way it is. You know what's interesting, though, Wish, is like that has been the message from Rick Tockett and by extension, Quinn Hughes and the leadership group. Like most of the time after these games, they are downplaying what they've just done. And they've been saying like, you know, even early on in the season, Tockett had a pretty famous quote after a bad performance in Philly. It was just three games into the season, but they'd come off two big wins over the Oilers, including smoking the mate one and the home opener. Uh, and he said, he, he was trying to kind of search for a quote. He was like, who do we think we are to say anything or something like that? I can't remember exactly what the quote was, but it was basically, you know, like, who do we think we are, right? And the whole message has been to keep an even keel. But don't you think it's natural for the fans who have been so beaten down for the last, well, pretty much decade to start, you know, it's it's starting to enjoy um, having a leg to stand on when you can make fun of other teams. Sure. But because like, we haven't had that for ages. Yeah, no kidding. And, and, you, and you fell right back into old habits, didn't you? Look, the, the problem is that you're going to build yourselves up so high and then you're going to meet some some old nasty pros like the Vegas Golden Knights in the first round or something, you get, you know, dispatched in like five games and then the fall is going to be even bigger. Like that's, that's what you got to protect yourself from. Look, this is exciting. Things are good. It's going to be good for a while based on the age of the players. Just like, let's enjoy it. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's start, start windmill dunking on, on Norris trophy winners because because things are going good with it, with the core of the team right now. So, wish I wouldn't take one tweet from Drancer as symbolic you of just, you, the Canucks you just getting. Said the, you said, but you said the fan base is doing it. Like you just a little bit, a little bit. But at the same thing, it's happening. But wish at the same time, it's all in the back of our minds. Like, oh, like I don't know. I actually don't know what percentage of the fan base. 100% believes in this team and what it's doing right now. I think more and more people are getting convinced as they go along, but I think wish if you want the answer, I think people are still like kind of confused and one day they're like, "Man, could this team win the cup?" and then the next day they're like, "Remember what I was thinking yesterday? That was crazy." So is this like are you trying to say again, I'm not trying to like Freud the team here or anything, but like are you trying to say that the that the dunking on others and the chest puffing out and and walking around like you've got the NWO theme in your head at all times <laughs> is to compensate 
for the fragility that exists that you don't believe. Well, I don't think I don't think all the fans are doing that. I think some of them are for sure. Yeah, because that's what fans that's what fans do. But we I mean, I just had to block a guy in our text inbox that kept on talking about regression. Like every second text was him talking about like their shooting percentage is going to go low. You guys are homers. You don't know what you're talking about. Right. So there still is that debate like hockey fans in Vancouver. Um, they may be crazy, but they're not dumb. Like we've seen teams go on these PDO benders all season long, and then the fall doesn't really happen mid-season. Usually, it happens the next season. That's when the fall happens, right? Isn't that your experience yeah. as well? Sure. Well, as a Devils fan, no, no, I don't know anything you're talking about as far as a team absolutely ruling the league for one year and then coming back and running it back and forgetting how to play defense. I do want to point out that you, uh, you have just admitted to silencing the vocal minority that, that uh, is trying to uh, bring everyone back down to earth about this team. If, if, if you know how annoying this guy was, it is <laughs> 20 texts. And like, he, you know, you know, people who text like, you know, on your phone and they don't give yeah. you like one long message, it'll be like a string of like crazy texts that just like you know and one of them will be like lol right and and you're just like get through yeah, it my no, man I understand. look dude it's if, very it's very my, distracting if my twitter account was like a tv remote the word mute will have been worn off the button <laughs> people on twitter so i understand okay let's talk about this cutter gochay story um what happened here wish <laughs> He had a change of heart, apparently, because uh, at the draft in 2022, he was extremely happy. Literally said, I'm so uh, happy and excited that the Philadelphia Flyers called my name. He talked about on a podcast, getting the chance to shake the hand of John Tortorella and tell him how excited he was to play for him. And then something changed. I mean, he just decided not to be a flyer. And, and, and either the Flyers are being a little uh, a little deceptive in, in knowing the reason and not wanting to share it, or they're just as baffled as we are. But the, the, I, I got a piece coming out this morning on ESPN about it, just kind of breaking it down and, and getting inside of, of the things that were said in the last 24 hours. Um, but two things that kind of really strike me is, one, this kind of continues the, the era of player empowerment that we've been in. Um, not only tracking back to, to the aforementioned Adam Fox and Jimmy VC and players like that from the NCAA who leveraged the CBA to try to get to where they wanted to go. And I think Gautier, it didn't get to that, that far, but it, that's in his back pocket, right? And, and one of the reasons why this all had to happen. Um, but it's also things like we see in Calgary where like Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk are basically just like, I'm calling my shot and letting you know what's up. I don't want to stay. And then they've got to, you know, react accordingly. So uh, it's it's been a an era in the last maybe six, seven, eight years of these players really taking their futures in their own hands. And, and it's been exciting to see um, maybe, maybe a little too NBA adjacent for some fans, but exciting to see for, for people like me who are pretty pro union. Um, the other takeaway is, you know, if you're a flyer, if you're a flyers fan and you're really upset today, we got to take a step back and learn our history. Okay. We've seen this before. We've seen top draft prospects say they don't want to play in a city and then one of them ended up in Philadelphia because of that very stance. And guess what? The team that traded him ended up being the team that made out the best. Count the Stanley Cup banners in Denver versus the Stanley Cup banners in Philadelphia. And let me know how that whole situation worked out the last time the Flyers had a top prospect who didn't want to play in a city. Uh, just to follow up on the piece that's coming out later today, how often did the name Kevin Hayes come up in it? 
It didn't come up at all because, okay. like, I'm not going to deal in, in, in rumor and innuendo yep. and conjecture. And, and Hayes, Hayes denied it. So that's, that's someone else's podcast drama to deal with. But, like, um, you know, the, 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 the thing about Gautier that I find really impressive is that you know when you make this decision – what your fate is going to be. And your fate is going to be that you're J.D. Drew, that your fate is going to be that you are now a public enemy number one type player in Philadelphia, and they're never going to forget. And he's not a dumb kid. Like, he's a Penguins fan. He understands the dynamic between Philadelphia and Pittsburgh and Philadelphia and their rivals. And, and by the way, maybe that's why I didn't want to play in Philly. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, he knows what has occurred now. He knows the, the fuse that he has lit. And yet he still went ahead and did this thing. And I, and I got to give him props. Like if, if there's one city in this continent, I don't want pissed off at me. It's Philadelphia. <laughs> and yet lo and behold, uh, he's done it. Um, what kind of player is Jamie Drysdale at this point? You know, so first of all, he's, he's, he's one that can't stay in the lineup, which right. is kind of a, a, a problem uh, for the last couple of seasons. Um, he's somebody who became a player the Ducks were comfortable dealing, not only because of, I guess, what they thought their organizational needs were. Pat Verbeek said last night that, you know, in in evaluating the the organization for the last year and a half, goal scoring was at a premium. They didn't have enough of it. And he had to find ways to improve his top six. And and Gautier certainly does that. But also because they had a lot of depth on the blue line. They have one of the best prospect pipelines in the league. And they have, you know, a handful of defensemen that still haven't really established themselves in the NHL quite yet. Um, maybe not with the offensive pedigree of Drysdale, but certainly guys are going to play in this league. Um, one of the things Danny Briere said last night that I found pretty truthful is there's going to be an adjustment period. He said the Ducks play a different way than we play. And by that, he means we play a different way than anybody else plays because John Tortorella is our coach. Right. <laughs> and, and so... There's two ways to think about this. The first is that Torts is infamous for breaking the wills of young players, and either you accept that uh, that tough love or you reject it, like Pierre-Luc Dubois did, for example. But there, everyone I've talked to that played for this guy, even if they hated him, even if, if they wanted out, even if they weren't into the whole Torts thing, they'll tell you the one thing he does do is is really improve your fundamentals defensively, really improve your attention to detail. And I think at this stage in his career, as a, as a guy whose who's offensive pedigree is, is well ahead of his defensive pedigree, that's probably something that will benefit Drysdale in the long run. Uh, William Nylander, did he leave a penny on the table in his negotiation <laughs> with the Leafs? You know, the craziest thing about the Nylander contract, and we talked we talk about this on the drop today, uh, Minarda, is I don't think that, we all realized how much cap flexibility the Leafs actually have until you sit down and go to cap friendly and see where the, the Nylander contract fits into the grand scheme of things. I mean, they have 12 guys under contract for next season. And then the following summer, uh, Marner and Tavares are up. So this contract is basically saying that we believe that the guy that we've seen um, in the last two years is the guy we're going to see for the next five or six years. And I was talking to, to, to the front office person last night, and they made the point that you want to have guys that 
not only want to play in Toronto, but know what it's like to play in Toronto and have shown they can handle it. I think one of the things that comes up about Marner a lot is, does this guy have the comportment to handle the, you know, insane pressure cooker that is Toronto? And I know that's like center of the hockey universe crap, and everybody's tired of hearing it, but it's like, true, it's though. true. Yeah. It's absolutely true. Yeah. It's a different world. That and Edmonton are probably the two most stressful places to play in this in in, the, in, in Canada. So. Um, that being established, Nylander's comportment is of a guy that can play there. Like he's kind of swaggery and he's kind of a little rough around the edges sometimes with people. Um, but he also just doesn't care about what the outside says. And, and I think that's why he plays well in the playoffs. And I think that's why he's excelled that market. So if you want to say, uh, what is going to be the right core for this team? I think having him in that core is the right decision. And then you have flexibility by having all these contracts come off your cap in the summer. Then you have further flexibility to, be, to go to John Tavares and say, you can stay here if you take half the money or go to, or, or trade Marner. Like they've, they're not as handcuffed or top heavy as I think a lot of people thought when they first saw the news of his contract. How much do you think William Nylander gets his personality from his dad, Michael? Oh, I think a lot. I think a whole, a whole lot. I, I mean, I, I still remember when the Caps dealt for um, for Nylander to be kind of like a veteran center. It was right before like they started to make the playoffs with that young guns group of Ovechkin and Backstrom and and um, and Mike Green and those guys. And, and I was in Washington covering the team at that point. And he, he he's just like he, it's it is very much a shared DNA between him and his kid as far as like the way that they handle themselves and carry themselves and and not suffering fools and, and being and what they can accomplish um it's that's the vibe that his dad gave off and that's certainly the vibe that Willie gives it off so what do you think Elias Pettersson's gonna get I mean north north of that maybe but like the thing the thing for that's sure if it's an eight-year it, deal north well, of that right but 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 here's but again like you know the the benefit to the, the two guys that I find more interesting in in the comparison to Nylander are, are Gensel and, and Reinhardt because their price tags just went up pretty significantly. If, if, if Gensel actually wants to make money and not just take a Sidney Crosby discount in Pittsburgh, um, and, and if Reinhardt does hit the open market, like their price tags just skyrocketed based on this Nylander deal because it's a straight-up buying out your UFA years. The tricky part with, with, with Pedersen is you still have the RFA year involved. And so what does that look like? Like, Do they go on a, on a one-year bridge to establish a, a salary um, level uh, this summer, like what 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 does the RFA of it all do to influence this this contract for him, this long term deal they want to get done? That's that's the interesting part. Mm-hmm. I think I think long answer short, like his money was always going to just be his money. Like I don't think what Nylander gets, yeah, it'll come up in conversation or it'll come up in negotiations, but ultimately, I think I think Pedersen's money is going to be what he wants. And it's going to be, and it's going to be what Vancouver can give him within the, the structure of their own cap. And it's not necessarily going to be like, but he got his because I think Pedersen might have been looking at that number anyway, or right. maybe even looking higher than that. Um, how, where are the Penguins right now? Because don't get mad at us for getting cocky, but the name Jake Gensel has come up as a possible uh, trade target at the deadline here in Vancouver. Yeah, and 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 rightfully so. I mean, like I, I don't think any of us really know. Um, what uh, what's going to end up happening with the Penguins if, if for some reason they're not in the hunt at the trade deadline? I mean, 
right now, I, I mean, they're, they're flying high after beating the Flyers last night. Um, you know, so that, that's, that's good for them. And they have at this point on money puck an 80% chance of making the playoffs. So things are, things are okay. Um, but if, if things falter, what really complicates matters in Pittsburgh is that Kyle Dubas has been tasked with a different task than what Ron Hextall had. Hextall was brought in to try to make uh, a Stanley Cup champion out of the last years of Crosby and Malkin and Latang. And Dubas came in to do the same thing, but also to be the guy that carries this franchise over into the next phase. And so when you think about the Penguins and you think about their playoff chances, when you think about, oh my God, what if they're six points out of the deadline and they're staring down the barrel of a, of a Jake Gensel extension that might be too rich for their cap, um, then it gets interesting because you do have a GM there that it has been tasked with trying to figure out what comes next. And if what comes next includes getting a really, really healthy return for one of the better goal-scoring wingers in this league, uh, then things can get interesting at the deadline. The thing is, if the Penguins make the playoffs, I'm looking at the teams in the East right now, and I don't hate the chances of the Penguins going on a run. Agree That's or disagree? I don't, I don't disagree. And in fact, like we're, we're, I'm doing uh, second half of the season bold predictions later this week on ESPN. And one of them is that the Bruins are going to lose in the first round again. And one of the reasons I think that could happen is that if you look at the, the, the wild card situation in the East, I mean, it could be the Devils with a returning Dougie Hamilton. It could be the Penguins who are the last team that you want to play in a seven-game playoff series. Don't forget, like, the Penguins were, were going to beat the Rangers a couple of years ago were it not for their entire goaltending falling apart and, and, right. and Jacob Trouba hitting Sidney Crosby in the head. Like, mm-hmm. this, this is a team that in a seven-game series can still beat anybody in this league. Provided they get the goaltending, and and between Nedeljkovic and Jari, they they probably will. Do the do, are the Devils expected to get? When when will they get fully healthy? Because they're missing so many players right now. It's crazy. Yeah, they're basically the Utica Devils right now. Like it's like there's so many people out of this lineup. It's insane. I mean, not only um, Jack Hughes and and uh, and Dougie Hamilton, but Palat's been hurt. Meyer's been hurt. Like Siegenthaler broke his foot. Uh, they're, they're in a very much maintain as much as you can maintain until you can get a little bit healthier mode. They obviously are being very quiet about Jack's injury and that's pretty much the whole ball game for the season. I think that we've seen the difference between a Jack Hughes devil's team and when he's out of the lineup, the intriguing part is Hamilton though. Like I, I was talking to some people around the league about Dougie Hamilton who tore his pack. The idea is that he's going to miss the rest of the regular season. And that, and, and a lot of people have speculated that the devils will just do the Kucherov Vegas Golden Knights thing and stash him on long-term injured reserve and use that cap space. But the thing about it is that he is so much better than anything that they can trade for that if there is a chance that he's ahead of schedule, like if he can come back for like the last 10 games of the season, let's say, right? Eight or 10 games of the season. The last thing you want is for you to have structured your cap in a way by acquiring players for the deadline where you can't do it. And and I think they know that they are a much better team with him than they are with, you know, Chris Tanov or, or whatever, right? So like, um, it, it's an interesting conundrum because I, I think ultimately their biggest hope is that he can come back ahead of schedule and they don't have to keep him out into the playoffs. Um, and if that's the case, then it really does change the math a little bit on on using that that cap space. 
Wish. Great stuff, bud. As always, thanks for doing this. Uh, enjoy the rest of the week. We'll do this again next Tuesday. And we're, we're sorry about your answer. He's, he's, he's a constant homer. He's just like uh, always Mr. Uh, optimism uh, with this team. Dude, he's, he's, he is a, a canary in a coal mine for the rest of Vancouver fans. <laughs> I can feel it already. Don't be that. Don't be those guys again. Again, you made it. You made us root for Lucic and Marshan. Do you understand how hard that is? Don't make us do it again. It's because you were jealous. Bye, Wish. Bye. Uh, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN here on the Alfred and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Okay, cool. I think that's so funny, by the way. What's that? It's so funny that it was a Drancer tweet of all people where the national media is now like, ah, the Canucks getting a little too cocky. This is the tweet, by the way, that Drancer sent out. <laughs> this is the game where people will finally give up the PSYOP of insisting that Adam Fox is in the same tier of NHL defenders as Quinn Hughes, right? Mm. And it got some response. Drancer, he's, God, he's such a homer. I must have missed that one last night. Yeah. Maybe I just ignored it. Right. Even muted. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, we got a lot more to get to on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. A reminder, we're giving away tickets every day this week to see the 32 Thoughts live podcast. January 18th at Wicket Hall in Victoria. Uh, we're giving away two tickets. Send a what we learned in with a ticket emoji. Dunbar on the text line is 650-650. You have to be able to go to the show, meaning you either have to be in the greater Victoria area or be willing to go and take the ferry over and catch the show on the 18th. And two, the show tapes at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So it's a little bit of an odd time for a lot of you 9 to 5. It'd be an early ferry to get over there. <laughs> if you're able to do this, text in Dunbar Lover text line is 650-650. Uh, coming up in the 7 o'clock hour, open segment so we can talk about everything that's going on around the NHL and your Vancouver Canucks. At 7.30, we're going to talk to Arthur Staple and preview tonight's Canucks game. Canucks Islanders 4.30 from UBS Arena. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.